How many of you ready to study the Bible tonight? Anybody? We are in a midweek series about what does Jesus want us to know about the end times, or as I am trying to retitle it, Preparing the Saints for the Coming of the Lord. So uh, we're trying to do a little retitling. My, my brother back there asked me last week, what are you titling this thing? I said, well, it started off, and, but I'd like to start to... Because I feel like that's what the Lord has instructed me to do, is prepare you and me to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. That's an important thing, amen? And tonight in particular, I want to talk about um, a thing, a title, uh, Jacob's Trouble, as it's called in the Old Testament, or as it's called in the New Testament, the Great Tribulation. Uh, Those of you who are interested in end times Bible study are probably thinking, Cool! Finally, we're going to get to some exciting stuff. Yeah, well, just hang on to your britches. We'll get there. Obviously, there's no way, <coughs> excuse me, to cover every minute detail of end time study. I mean, I mean, I don't know how long it's going to take before the Lord comes back, but if we did this every Wednesday night until the Lord comes back, I don't know that we could still cover every single minutia of end times. Um, But I do believe that we're going to cover enough of the major highlights that each one of us can be prepared, that we can be in a position to say, I am ready for the coming of the Lord. Amen? Uh, And it's it's important to know this because uh, there's a couple scriptures that we'll read actually at the end where we need to understand that the coming of the Lord is, is actually in the scripture called our blessed hope. And so if you don't know about the coming of the Lord, then what are you hoping in? Right on? So this is about preparing us as believers to, um, for the coming of the Lord. I'm not talking about being right enough or righteous enough or godly enough or clean enough. That's between you and the Lord, okay? I mean, I obviously am assigned by the Lord to be able to tell you what's holy and what's unholy, but it's up to you to walk that out. I'm not the fruit inspector, right on? I have a hard enough time inspecting my, myself, examining myself as it relates to my spiritual condition. And so uh, don't let that alarm you. Every one of us in the room have a spiritual condition, whether good or bad. And maybe it's a good one day. Y'all hear me? Right on. So tonight we're going to begin to talk about one of the, literally one of the first themes about end times that both Jesus spoke of, John the Revelator spoke of, it's, it's also uh, spoken of in the Old Testament, and I think it's very important for us to have a harmony between the Old Testament and the New Testament as it relates to end times, because everything that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 is related to what the prophets spoke of in the Old Testament. Of course, in the Old Testament, it was called Jacob's distress or Jacob's trouble or Jacob's sorrow. In the New Testament, Jesus called it the great tribulation. How many know tribulation is a really positive word? Not. (laughs) Not necessarily. Most of us are familiar with the word tribulation is in general, but we're also <clears throat> at least somewhat familiar with the word tribulation as it relates to what's as an end time subject, but maybe, maybe we 
don't remember much about it. Maybe it hasn't been spoken of in a long time. I don't think I've ever taught on it in the eight years that I've been here. Uh, so this will be a time for us to really break this down. This is an important assignment on my life to, to talk about this. I'm not afraid to talk about this. Uh, but there are many varying doctrinal positions and viewpoints about the end times that for many years have been dividing lines, uh, battle lines that have caused wars and divisions in churches. Okay? So that doesn't, you know, I, I, I try to stick with issues that are heaven and hell issues uh, and not take us down lines where there can be confusion. But because of the time that we're in right now in the season, the Lord really spoke to my heart about this. If you'll remember, it was in January before any of the COVID stuff started. I think I mentioned to Diane. I certainly mentioned to my secretary, I think I'm supposed to do a midweek service. And uh, honest to goodness, there was a part of me that didn't want to. Just say thank you for being honest about it. You know, um, but I also needed a, to hear from the Lord on it, and I needed a strong purpose for it. And the Lord really just began to burden my heart to have, that, have the midweek service and to take this opportunity to speak to those who are interested uh, about the end times and to begin to share what my, my positions on it. You need to understand that in the context of me sharing my positions about how I understand the Word and what I believe the Lord has revealed to me is not to stand up here and say, you must follow my personal convictions, okay? Um, I believe that there are, there, are, there are certain issues doctrinally that should separate us. For example, if you're here tonight and you don't believe in the virgin birth, we got a problem marching together in our Christianity. If you're here tonight and you don't believe that Jesus died for our sins, we have a fundamental issue together. But if you're here tonight and you believe in this position about the rapture and I believe in that one about the rapture, that's not a heaven or hell issue and it should never ever divide us even though the enemy has used what we believe about end times literally to draw battle lines in the sand. Are you, you understanding what I'm saying? So I have not steered away from it because I'm afraid of it, because I'm certainly not. I'm well-versed in it. I've studied this deeply. Um, I just, I felt like, you know, I think it's the Lord's timing for us. I mean, look, the crowd here tonight, praise God. Uh, I can't tell you the number of churches that, that aren't, number one, aren't even doing a, a Sunday service, let alone a midweek service, and even when they are, this is... This is a great midweek crowd in the best of scenarios, let alone in the scenario that we're in right now. So most of us are familiar with the term tribulation as it relates to, it relates to the end times, and it's that special time that comes on earth where everything is going to be horrible. Now remember last week I talked about a bunch of stuff and I was really disappointed when I got three quarters of the way through my message and I realized, oh my gosh, this is negative, doom and gloom, I'm not a doom and gloom preacher, how do I end this, Lord? And of course, I had a scripture that, that ended us well, but I made it intentional that I knew how to bring us around to a positive side because it is positive for the saints of God. Y'all hearing me? If you're, a, if you're a child of God, this shouldn't be alarming to you. 
In fact, it should be your great beloved hope. Think about that. So although I'm going to say a lot of things, like, like the tribulation is going to be one of the most horrible, intensely difficult times that has ever hit planet Earth, wasn't that positive? That was just like such a positive thing to say. But not for the saints of God. Regardless of your rapture position. Is everybody in the room, is there anyone in the room who's never been taught anything about the rapture? Anyone at all? Wow, every single person in the room has been taught something about the rapture. I'm not even going to do a, a poll on do you believe this or do you believe that because I gotta, we'd have all kinds of varying things. And I've always said that I believe that diversity is the mother of creativity, is one of the great parts of creativity. It's a healthy thing. It shouldn't divide us. Again, if we're talking about heaven and hell issues, it still shouldn't cause us to not love each other, but it might cause us not to be able to march hand in hand together. Are you following me? Say amen or something. <laughs> All right. So this time of the tribulation is going to be one of the most horrible, intense times that's ever hit the planet Earth. In fact, we can see that in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. I'm going to read a few more passages. The only one that's on the screen is Matthew 24, 21, which I'll read first. But you go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus said, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor shall ever be. Now let me help you with something. It is my firm belief, and I take great faith in this particular position that I take, that everything about end times needs to match what Jesus had to say about end, end times. Not what Daniel said, not what Paul said, not what Peter said, not what Joel said, not what any old prophet or New Testament apostle said. Jesus is the greatest authority on end times. In fact, it is my firm belief that Daniel, Joel, all the Old Testament prophets, and all the New Testament apostles need to match what he says, not the other way around. And the worst thing that we can possibly do is to simply take a passage of Scripture and somehow mold it into our position. We need to mold our positions into the Word of God, the irrefutable, inarguable Word of God, not a single passage or segment of Scripture that matches how you think. And I'll tell you right now, and I'm going to read over, a, I don't know, half a dozen different rapture positions tonight, and every single one of them have a portion of Scripture that can back them up. How many know that's problematic for the saints of God to know where to stand? And how many know that's a good reason for me to stand up here and have a title called Preparing the Saints of God for the Coming of the Lord? Right on? So, uh, Matthew chapter 24, are you there? I want to read, there's a segment in here that starts with verse 15, which is called the Great Tribulation. That's actually my subject tonight, but I have to take a detour, a detour on the subject, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So I'm going to start reading with verse 15, and it says, and I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, 
And this shouldn't be on the screen, I don't believe. I didn't give them all this information, and I don't necessarily need it up there. So here we are. Are you all ready? Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, when you what? See it. When you see it. This is important. This is important, y'all. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. So automatically Jesus is referring to Daniel, isn't he? One of the old prophets. Whoever reads, let him understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Excuse me. That thing's been causing us some trouble. We're going to have to look at this microphone again. I barely touched it. Uh, Where am I at? Verse 18 or 19? 18, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Apparently he's in the field naked. I don't know what the deal is there. But woe to, <laughs> sorry. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or in Sabbath. What is the Lord really trying to help us understand? This is a horrible time, an intensely horrible time. For then... There, this is verse 21, there will be great tribulation. Everybody say, great tribulation. Such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor shall ever be. Woo! I'm serious. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would even be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. How can they deceive? Just because saints of God are dumb? No, but because these signs and wonders match very closely to the very same things that Jesus did when he walked on earth. That's why people are going to believe that the Antichrist is actually the Messiah. For false Christ, verse 24, and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Don't read there that it says if possible means that it's not possible. That's not what it's saying. It just says even the very elect could be fooled. How many know it's important that we're prepared? Right on? Um, And Jesus said, see, I've told you beforehand. I'm going to stop right there. Now, here's the detour. As I began this and I, and I was reading this, I, I realized any discussion about the tribulation, which is known as the seven-year period tribulation, it's all known as the tribulation. The first three and a half years just aren't bad because it's a time of peace. So the real part of the tribulation is what Jesus called the great tribulation, which is the last three and a half years of the tribulation. I'm not going to get too deep into the 70 weeks. 70 weeks is the Daniel thing. We can really go deep into doctrinal theology on the subject. I want to keep it pretty straightforward and understandable. Is that all right? So the problem that I suddenly realized as I kind of came to a roadblock is that every single one of us in this room, based on our position about the rapture, will determine your position and thoughts about the, the tribulation. 
Whatever position you have about the rapture of Jesus is going to determine how you look at the tribulation. Are you with me? So I realized, uh-oh, i got to talk about the rapture. You might say, well, why uh-oh? Well, now I'm going to tell you. <laughs> but first, I believe, again, I believe it's necessary to have a preliminary discussion about the rapture in order to even expound on the tribulation. There are several rapture points of view. Some of them I didn't even know were, were there until I looked it up online today. And, uh, for example, there's the pre-tribulation rapture. Y'all want to play an interesting game in the room? Shall we do that? All right, let's just do it. We'll all expose our positions this evening. All right? Uh, all of you that are pre-tribulation rapture people, raise your hand if you're a pre-tribulation rapture person. Wow. That's interesting that it's not as many as I thought. Okay, then there's a thing called mid-tribulation rapture. Any of you all in the room are mid-tribulation? Okay, there's one, two, okay, three, four. Awesome. That's almost as many as were the other. Close. Then there's a thing called pre-wrath rapture. Is there anybody in the room who's a pre-wrath rapture person? Okay. Isn't that interesting? Four. Uh, then there's a thing called partial pre-trib rapture. None of us have ever even heard of that one, have we? Par <laughs> partial pre-tribulation rapture. Yeah, okay. Which is also known as the pan theory, just so you know. Has anybody ever heard of the pan theory before? The idea is that it's just all going to pan out in the end anyway, so... <laughs> now everybody in the room, oh, pan theory! Pan theory! <laughs> then there's a thing called post-tribulation rapture. Anybody post-tribulation rapturous? Isn't that interesting? Now, there's another thing that's pretty interesting about this. When I asked how many in the room had never really heard about or known anything about the rapture, not a single hand raised it in the room, and yet there were some of you who didn't raise your hand about any of the ones that I, picked, that I called out here. So that's pretty interesting. Okay, how many of you are undecided about the rapture? That's a pretty safe place to be. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I, I did some research today because I really kind of wanted to bring this to you. Um, it, it is difficult to stand up here as the pastor of the church, and hear me clearly on this, to stand up here as the pastor of the church and to share with you my point of view without making you feel like it must be your point of view as well. That's a difficult position to be in as a pastor. Because I'm not here to say you must believe exactly what I believe, okay? But, I'm, I, but I think it's also important simply as a, as a believer to, and as a pastor to share with you what my position is about the rapture, and I'll explain to you why. But before I do that, let me just read some stuff straight out of what's called wikipedia.com, so it's basically like the online encyclopedia, right? So here we go. You ready? Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're dead already. What's going on? <laughs> All right, so starts off, before it breaks them down, it starts off just talking about, here we go. I'm just going to read this. 
The rapture is an eschatological, eschatological means the study of end times. Eschatology is the study of end times. So you're going to hear a few words tonight that are words about theology and Bible study, and I'll do my very best to try to explain those words to you. So the rapture is an eschatological, what is eschatology? Study of end times, just that simple. The rapture is an eschatological concept of a minority of Christians. I was blown away that that was what was in wikipedia.com, which is basically an online encyclopedia, right? Which probably explained why we had varying positions here tonight, and it was like five on this one, four on that one, four on that one, and a bunch of you with no position, at least, or that, or your hands are broken. So, so it says, first thing it said was it's a cons, an end times concept of a minority of Christians, particularly within the branches of American evangelicalism, consisting of an end time event when all Christian believers who are alive, along with resurrected believers, will rise in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Best basic definition, regardless of when it happens, that, that's a good definition. In Paul, the apostle's first epistle to the Thessalonians in the Bible, he uses the Greek word harposa, harpazo, meaning to snatch away or to seize, seize. Did you know the word rapture is not even in the Bible? I don't care what translation, it's not even in the Bible, okay? Now, the rapture is actually a concept that man put together as it relates to things that are written in the Word of God. Therefore, do you think we might want to be a little careful about which soapbox we climb on and go, I've cornered the market on the rapture and I know when and where and how. Nah. So it comes from a Greek word, harpazo, meaning to snatch away or to cease, and explains that believers in Jesus Christ will be snatched away from the earth into the air. Differing viewpoints exist about the exact timing of the rapture and whether Christ's return will occur in one event or two events. Okay? Uh, So we know that Christ already showed up one time, right? Yes, and so if he shows up again, that's known as the second time. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So um, you're with me? So, and that would be called theologically the second coming. Thank you very much. Can I help you? There's no third coming in the Bible? There's no second, second coming? So those of you who think, well, he's, he, he already came, so that's the first coming, but he's going to come again. But then he's going to come again. Sorry, not in there. I'll just get back to the encyclopedia. I'm trying to restrain myself. Okay, here is from the encyclopedia, pre-tribulation rapture. This view traces its roots in the post-apostolic era as far back as A.D. 140 from a book called The Shepherd of Hermas, which alludes, alludes, slightly suggests is what that word means, alludes to the idea that believers in Christ will not suffer tribulation, suggesting 
a possible pre-tribulation view. Say what? It simply alludes to it and suggests the possibility of? Modern pre-tribulationism gained rise in the 17th century with the Puritan preachers. Now, I, the, again, this is a from the online encyclopedia. It's not based with any bias religiously. Okay? Uh, it was popularized extensively in the 1830s by John Nelson Darby and was further promoted in the United States through the wide circulation of the Schofield Reference Bible in the early 20th century. This is how young the modern idea of pre-tribulation rapture is. The pre-tribulation position advocates that the rapture will occur before the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. Now remember I said before we can really dig open the tribulation period, we have to talk about the rapture because what you believe or feel about the tribulation is going to be based on what you believe about the rapture, okay? So the pre-tribulationists believe that the rapture will take place before the seven-year tribulation begins uh, while the second coming will occur at the end of it. Pre-tribulationists often describe the rapture as Jesus coming for the church and the second coming as Jesus coming with the church. Then there's mid-tribulation rapture. The mid-tribulation position states that the rapture will occur at some point in the middle of what is popularly called the tribulation period, or Daniel's 70th week. Again, if you want to study that, go to Daniel, read Daniel, and do some studying, because I don't intend in this particular talk, I'm not talking about just tonight, I mean as we go through this, to break down all of these avenues about the end times, about the 70th week and 1,365 days and the 1,200, see, I'm already doing it, and it's getting too deep. Uh, Here we are. Where am I at? Oh, yes. Uh, I got to start again. The mid-tribulation position states that the rapture will occur at some point in the middle of what is popularly called the tribulation period or during Daniel's 70th week. The tribulation is typically divided into two periods of three and a half years each. Mid-tribulationists hold that the saints will go through the first period, the beginning of sorrows, but will be raptured into heaven before the severe outpouring of God's wrath in the second half of what is popularly called the Great Tribulation. That's an interesting point, because what you believe about the tribulation is not just what you believe about the rapture, but it's also what you understand about God's wrath. There's a number of things that take place in the tribulation period that are not God's wrath. They are Satan's wrath that people have named God's wrath. So we also have have an understanding in this discussion What is Satan's wrath? What is God's wrath? Okay? The one thing I know that Scripture convinced me of, that as a child of God, I am not appointed to the wrath of God. Flat out Scripture. Okay? There's no reading between the lines on that one. Rick Lopez is not appointed to the wrath of God. So no matter what, I'm automatically, no matter what else, I'm a pre-rather just based on that one text that says I'm I'm not appointed to the wrath. But again, then, 
what's the wrath of God? That might change my position in the seven-year period. That was my personal commentary. That was not from the encyclopedia. Oh, what's next? Pre-wrath rapture. Um, the pre-wrath rapture view. How many of y'all have never heard of the pre-wrath rapture view? Wow, wow, that's a lot of hands here in the room. Can I see your hands better? Have not, you've never heard of the pre-wrath rapture position. Wow, that is interesting. Which, believe it or not, is one of the biggest segments in this whole rapture thing. Okay. The pre-wrath rapture view also places the rapture at some point during the tribulation period, but before the second coming. Let me just say that the pre-wrath rapture view does not see anything but his first coming and his second coming. There is no second coming A and second coming B, or second coming to pick us all up and the second coming to bring us all back. Pre-wrath position sees two comings of the Lord. Very astounded that that was the majority of the hands in the room that said, I never even heard of that position before. I got to get past that for a minute. I kind of took my breath away a little bit. Um, this position, this view holds that the tribulation of the church begins toward the latter part of the seven year period, being Daniel's 70th week, when the Antichrist is revealed in the temple. Can I, can I throw in personal commentary as I go? And I, I've not just thrown in personal commentary about pre-wrath, but the others as well. What was one of the things Jesus said? Um, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, right? If you're a pre-tribulationist, you do not believe that. You won't see it. See, that's why I'm saying how you view the tribulation is based on what you believe about the rapture. Um, the, this latter half of the seven-year period is defined as the Great Tribulation, although, although the exact duration is not exactly known. References from Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 are used as evidence that this tribulation will be cut short by the coming of Christ to deliver the righteous by means of the rapture, which will occur after specific events in Revelation, in particular after the sixth seal is opened and the sun is darkened and the moon is turned to blood. However, by this point, many Christians will have Ready for good news, y'all? Ah, yeah. By this point, many Christians will have already been slaughtered, I read it, as martyrs by the Antichrist. Everyone can see why the pre-wrath position is such a popular position. After the rapture will come God's seventh seal, wrath of trumpets and bowls. See, one of the things that pre-wrathers delineate on is what is God's wrath and what is Satan's wrath, okay? Also, this thing uh, after the seventh uh, seal is known uh, scripturally as the day of the Lord, and anytime you see in Scripture the day of the Lord with day capitalized, is speaking of the day that the wrath of God begins, The day of the Lord's wrath against, oh, let me, yeah, uh, let me, after the rapture will come, God's seventh seal, wrath of trumpets and bowls, a.k.a. the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord's wrath against the ungodly will follow for the remainder of the seven years. 
Are you ready for the partial pre-tribulation rapture? Otherwise known as the pan theory? Yeah, pan theory wasn't in the dictionary. It just said, but that looks like the pan theory to me. Uh, The partial tribulation rapture, the partial conditional or selective rapture theory holds that all obedient Christians will be raptured before the great tribulation depending on one's personal closeness between she or he and God, which is not to be confused with the relationship between the same and God. I know. I agree. Therefore, it is believed by some that the rapture of a believer is determined by the timing of his conversion before the great tribulation. Other proponents of this theory hold that only those who are faithful in their relationship with God will be raptured, and the rest resurrected during the great tribulation between the fifth and sixth seals of Revelation, having lost their lives during the tribulation. Still others hold the rest will either be raptured during the tribulation or at its end. Not sure where that one comes from, but it was in the dictionary. It was in the encyclopedia. So I'm not making this stuff up, y'all. Quit staring at me. I'm going to talk to y'all right now. All of y'all are on the, out there. The rest of them are just looking at me like, "What?" Is... All right, post-tribulation rapture. In the post-tribulation position, how many of y'all have read this book? How many of you have? And this has been the book of the month for a while, right? Uh, how many of you have already captured what his position of the rapture is? Post. That's his position. If you're interested in some other, this is a great book right here, by the way. This is called The Rapture Question Answered. Uh, just for your information, it's pre-wrath. I think there's some possibilities that pre-wrath and post, Brother Chuck, might be the same ultimately the same timing. Then there's another book called The Pre-Wrath Rapture of the Church, powerful book. And then there's another one, if you really want to get deep, called The Sign. Anybody ever read The Sign? Yeah. Uh, I encourage you not to read it. Don't read it. or <laughs> Just don't read it. No. <laughs> uh, if you do, you'll be a pre-wrather before you come back to church the next time. So. Post-tribulation, Uh, The rapture would be identical to the second coming of Jesus or as a meeting in the air with Jesus that immediately precedes his return to the earth before the literal millennium. The emphasis in this view is that the church will undergo the tribulation. Remember, I said before we can talk about the tribulation, we have to talk about the rapture because if if you're a pre-tribulationist, you're automatically got the idea, why do I need to know about the rapture? Because I'm not going to be here anyway. And if you're a mid-tribulationist, you might say, well, why do I really need to know about that? Because I'll be gone before the abomination of desolation, which is when Satan stands himself up as God on earth. I'll be gone before that, so I don't really need to worry about it either. If you're a pre-rather or a post-tribber, you might be thinking, yeah, let's get into this because, uh, I mean, I could be slaughtered. Why are you making me do this, Lord? Okay. With all of these varied positions, one could see how it could be confusing to know where one should stand 
about the rapture, right? Um, and one thing is true, one of these positions is accurate. <laughs> okay, it's that one. No, I mean, one of these positions most accurately matches what Jesus had to say about it. That's critical in this conversation. Now, there's a lot of people who look at Matthew 24 and say, but he's just talking to the Jewish people there, to the Israelites. Well, that's an assumption. I'm either boring you stiff or you're just like, okay, this is really interesting and scary. And it is scary. But for the saints of God, the Bible says this is your beloved hope and that we're to comfort one another talking about it. How y'all feeling comfortable? Everybody feeling comfortable and hopeful in the conversation? So, the problem is knowing which one. I need to explain to you how I came to a position, okay? Um, when I, and I may have told you parts of this before, I don't know, but if, if I have, it's my story and I'm sticking to it, so I'm going to tell you again. Um, when I took the church up in West Branch, New Life Christian Church, that would have been 24 years ago. 13 and a half a year there, no, 21 years ago, excuse me. Um, I was a first-time pastor. And, I mean, I was an infant, even though I was 40-something, uh, 40 probably, I can't remember, 41, 42. Um, my first year as a pastor, I was one-year-old infant. Are you all with me? And I was scared. It's like, because now these people are going to listen to what I have to say, probably. And <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> what, my point being is that you'd be surprised that all a pastor's got to do is say something and people will run with it like it's God talking and not recognize that's just a man or that's just a woman who is fallible, but God is not fallible. So I, I took this very seriously. I'm standing before people as a pastor. I'm thinking back on those moments, man, and it was scary as possibly could be because in many respects their salvation depended on what I had to say from the holy desk. Not, and maybe if it wasn't their salvation, maybe it was how they walked out their salvation because we're supposed to do what? Walk out our salvation with fear. What? Isn't that a positive feeling, fear and trembling? But yet I'm supposed to walk out or work out. It really is speaking about walking out your salvation. And how do most people walk out their salvation? Based on what their spiritual leader's directions are. I was really in a very daunting, ominous position to stand up here 21 years ago, not here, but behind the holy desk, and have the responsibility of... Brother Chuck Sharon, the Word of God. It's a crazy place to be. And I also knew that people were going to ask me difficult questions. And uh, I knew they were going to ask me, what do you think about the rapture? <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I'd go to a potluck 
or a party at somebody's house, and somebody would always get me off. So, Pastor Rick, what's your position on the rapture? I got really good at avoiding the question. I really did. I'm sorry to say that, but I got really good at avoiding the question because I went, Lord, whatever I say. I'm feeling emotional about this truly right now because whatever I say, Lord, some are going to listen to that and think it's the gospel, and I don't really know why I believe what I believe. Do I believe what I believe about the pre-tribulation rapture, Lord, because that's what you've planted in my heart as revelation? Or do I believe that, Lord, because it's just what I've always been taught and I don't know anything else? And that was a serious position for me as a pastor, especially an infant pastor. Lord, I must, I got to know from you. And I begin to take a journey on many doctrinal positions and say, Lord, I need to know from you, not just based on everything that I've ever heard, because people's eternity weigh in the balance many times of what I might have to say up here. Anybody want to? That's why I've always said anybody that fills out an application to become a pastor is an idiot. That's all I got to say. I want to do that. You don't want to do that. You just have to do it if the Lord called you, calls you to it. Are you following me? So I, I got in my office, and especially that after I got cornered a couple of times and I realized I was, I was putting that person off, and I went, people are smart. Even the ones in West Branch, they're smart. <laughs> um, they're going to know that I'm putting them off. They're going to know that I'm skirting this issue, and that in and of itself is going to be leadership or lack thereof. God, I need to know. So I, I took a journey. It was almost a year-long journey. Diane remembers it, where I read everything I could read, everything on every one of these positions, except for, of course, the partial pre-tribulation. I never heard of that one. And I did. I read everything that I could read, and I, and, I, and I read the Bible, and I studied, and I prayed, and I studied, and I prayed and I, for a year. Honest to goodness, I did everything that I could to avoid the issue. And I wasn't avoiding the issue because I was afraid of the subject. I was avoiding the issue because I was respectfully fearful of the position that I was holding as a pastor in people's lives. Are you all hearing me? And so I studied and I, and I prayed and I, and I read. I think the first one I read might have been this one. And I already told you, don't read, don't read this book, y'all. That's reverse psychology, by the way. <laughs> I read this book. And you may have noticed I put little tabs in those books. And I was going to do little tabs in this book, but like every page has got markings. Because uh, as I was reading, I, I was just like, what? And I couldn't, re I couldn't refute a single thing, Chris. I couldn't argue. I mean, I tried to rebuke and refute everything that I read. And I couldn't. And I was like, okay, now this ain't good. Because maybe I'm not pre-trib, and that's all I know. Are you all with me? And so I said, well, I better read another book. I think the next one I wrote read was by a different author, and I thought, well, I better investigate this pre-wrath thing because I feel like this is what Scripture is saying, okay? And 
by the time I did that book, I was absolutely convinced this was my position. And it was completely against the position that I, that I had since I was a child. And, of course, then I read this book. Um, it's also by the same author of the first one, uh, Plain and Simple. That's why I would suggest you actually read this one, because the first one is pretty doggone deep and thick. Nobody likes a thick book. Um, this one is really plain and simple. This is, if you really want to investigate the subject, I encourage you to read this book. Now, why, why am I saying that? Because remember, I'm not up here to somehow implant in your heart my belief. All right? So, in that journey, and now I have a conviction. I have a conviction. Lord, what do I do with it now? I don't want to talk about that. Everyone in my church will leave. They're all pre-tribbers. I say something other than pre-trib, they're going to say I'm in heresy, and they're gone. I'm just being honest with you about what I went through as a human being standing as a pastor. And I haven't avoided the subject here, honestly, in eight years. No one's ever asked me. Absolutely the truth, and even when I did Torah time and I gave people opportunities to pick questions, the rapture one was in there. I threw it in there, don't let them ask, Lord, don't let them ask, Lord, don't let them ask. And it never showed up, ever. Those of you who took that class remember it was in there. But now, where we're at right now, he has compelled me to do it. And here's why he's compelled me. He's been compelling me with this for a long time. That when it, was, when it came time to talk about this, that I had to talk about it. And the reason is, for those who are in the place that I was growing up as a pre-tribulation rapturist, I don't expect to be here when any of this happens. I don't expect to see the abomination of desolation. I don't expect to be around for the mark of the beast. I don't expect to be around for uh, 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 the Antichrist. Lord... What if this pre-wrath thing, post-trib thing is true and they're never taught it? They're never given the information to go get their own revelation of the information. And then they're here when it happens and they're like, wait a minute, they taught me pre-trib stuff and that was a lie and now what else was a lie? I don't know that I believe anything that anyone's ever taught me from the Bible because that very thing, which was the most important thing, was not true. That was a difficult place to be as a pastor, Brother Chuck. So, do I not talk about it and let people stand before the Lord someday, or, excuse me, see the Antichrist and be facing the mark of the beast and wonder, why didn't Pastor Rick ever teach me what he thinks about this? Again, that ain't a good place to be, Sharon. And I'm not whining and I'm not complaining because I love pastoring. All right? And this subject that I'm talking to you all about throughout the course of not just rapture, but in times, is something I'm well versed in because I have studied it deeply. I've, 
I've read every book I can find on the subject from multiple viewpoints. Okay? And I want to encourage you down that line as well for a minute. Let me take this opportunity for all of you online and those of you here. You need to believe what you believe because you have a conviction from the Holy Spirit that that's truth. Don't believe what you believe just because that's the way you were always taught. Now, I've shared this part with you many times over the eight years that I've been pastoring here, is that most of us will have a viewpoint of the Scripture based on our religious upbringing. If you were brought up as a Baptist, you're going to have a Baptist view of Scripture. If you were brought up as a Catholic, you're going to have a Catholic view. If you're, going to, if you're brought up as a Pentecostal, charismatic Pentecostal, you're going to have a Pentecostal, charismatic view or lens of the Scripture. And I knew that from being a pastor in West Branch and here that I got people from all different walks of religious life and upbringing who simply believe what they believe because that's what grandpa taught us and that's what great-grandma believed and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I have challenged you all many times over the course of these years, don't believe that stuff just because. I mean, praise God that grandma and grandpa had a belief And we pray that it was their belief, not because their grandma and grandpa taught them, but because they had a revelation and a conviction from God. Amen? And I want everyone to have a revelation and conviction, a personal conviction about what the Scripture says and about what you believe, not just because that's what my family always believed. And I'm not dishonoring what your family always believed, but you better believe because God spoke to you, not just because it's a part of your lineage. So that becomes a challenge, doesn't it? I don't want to believe what, I don't want to read the entire Bible just through a Pentecostal lens because that's how I was brought up. I want revelation. We're instructed in the Bible to be ready to give a defense for why we believe And most of us don't know how to give a defense for what we believe because we're not sure what we believe or why we believe it. I got off on a tangent there, but... So what I'm trying to express to you is how I came to have a position on the rapture. The time that we live right now And the topic that the Lord has gotten the upper hand in my life on. (laughs) Him and I arm wrestled a little bit. I just was a complete weakling, and he put me down real quick. Because I knew going in, I'm going to have to talk about this. So, So, again, there are multi positions, varied positions. Therefore, it's easy to understand why one would be confused about what to believe. And even if you don't feel that you're confused about what you believe, I challenge you to answer your own question about why you believe it. So the problem is knowing which one. And because of that, I think it's pretty important that we have a clear idea about how to interpret Scripture. So this process of talking about end times, the tribulation, the rapture, now led me to a place of saying, we need to talk about how you interpret Scripture, okay? 
because everything that we believe must be matched with Scripture, clearly. So whatever you read, whatever you hear, whatever you believe needs to be measured against the Word of God, not against any one of these books, not against what great-great-grandpa believed, but measured against the Word of God based on what the Holy Spirit enlightens you to. That's a part of why I think that Scripture says, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling, because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We need to, we need to know why we believe, y'all. I want this to be a church that knows why, not this, that the church as a whole believes, but why you as individuals believe what you believe. And if you still have a conviction about a different belief than mine, that does not separate us because it's not a heaven or hell issue. You just may be surprised, or I may be surprised. And I have said many times, I hope that pre-tribulation is the truth. I pray in the name of Jesus that it's the truth. Let it be the truth, because I also want to get out of here before all this stuff happens. But what if it's not? That is a question we must honestly ask ourselves. We pray and hope that it is the truth, but what if it's not? If you're unwilling to ask that question, then you've made your position on the rapture a heaven or hell issue. And you can't do that because the Bible won't let us make it a heaven or hell issue. It makes it an issue about what we think about the coming of the Lord. Jesus, this church is really quiet tonight. So again, the problem is that each one of these, here here is a problem. The problem is that each one of these rapture positions can get some backing from one's view of the Word of God. Therefore, we better be pretty clear about how we interpret the Word of God, right? So I have a firm confidence that Scripture means exactly what it says first and foremost. You don't need to start off interpreting Scripture by trying to find the type and shadow, what's in between the line, what are they suggesting, what's the metaphor, what's the allegory. One of the best things that you can do is take Scripture at face value. How would a child take it? Well, the allegorical, metaphorical idea by, and mystical idea behind that. No, 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 no. What it says is what it says. That's important. So I'm very much, I take a lot of confidence and comfort in interpreting Scripture based on face value or literal interpretation. I have confidence in that. Now, how I interpret the Bible comes from another theological word called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. Uh, Hermeneutics basically is, by definition, the science of interpreting Scripture. So one's hermeneutic is important because that's how you view Scripture. One's hermeneutic basically refers to how one understands Scripture when they read it. So I needed you to understand that word. And there are many forms of hermeneutics. A long list. I was blown away by the long See, I've never been to Bible college, okay? So I do have years of training and on-the-job service, and I went to the school of hard knocks in Skintonese. So I do have that diploma hanging in my office. So just to name a few, you got literal interpretation, 
moral interpretation, meaning that every scripture you read, you, under, you, you view it through the moral standpoint. Allegoric, it must mean something similar but different. Uh, and then mystical. Mystical interpretation really means that every scripture I look at, it's something super spiritual about what's there. Now, all that stuff is there. The allegoric, the literal, the, the, the moral, and the spiritual. It's all there. But the safest route is always what it says is what it says. You're always safer to take the literal face value interpretation. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13. He said, For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end. What is that saying? That if they could read it, they could get it. If you can read it, you can understand it. Some of us just try to go way too deep. Why not take what the Scripture has to say at face value? That would be taking it like a small child, right? Well, what do you want us to be a small child for? Well, if you don't come to the Lord like a little child, you won't even see the kingdom of heaven, it says, right? So I understand that we can get deep and we get theological and doctrinal, and I don't think there's anything wrong with any of that study. I want to know more, but the best route is literal face value interpretation. And quite frankly, I believe with all my heart, and I feel safe in saying this, that this is the hermeneutic that every believer should use first and should use foremost. Those who use face value hermeneutics understand that what is read or heard is taken at face value. If it says that, it means that. Okay? The true meaning of any text can be best understood at face value. Now, face value also includes context. In other words, I don't take a single segment of a scripture at face value and develop a doctrine off of that single segment. I must read it in context, sometimes to the entire book, whether it's from James. I must read the entire book of James to understand the context. I certainly need to read the entire chapter about that scripture. You, are, you can't just take face value out of context, so it's got to be in context, it's got to be harmonized with other passages of Scripture. It can't be a standalone segment of Scripture, and you're going to take that as a position of doctrine. No, it's got to be harmonized with other Scriptures. Even though it's face value, it must be harmonized with other face value Scriptures. Now, I'm sharing with you how a deep biblical study brought me to my position about the rapture, which helps me also have my position about the tribulation, which also helps me have my position about the coming of the Lord, which is why I can look at the coming of the Lord as my beloved hope, and I can give comfort in talking about it. The true meaning of any text, understood at face value, context, harmonized with other passages of Scripture, uh, and also culturally. You must look at it in terms of when it was written, to whom it was written. You might think, well, that's getting deep. But you can still go face value, literal interpretation with those things in mind. My whole point is you can't take one verse 
and build a doctrine on it. Unless that one verse is in context, harmonized with other passages of Scripture, are you following me? That's important. Uh, There are a lot of religions and a lot of people who take one segment of a verse that's not harmonized with anything else and build an entire denomination on it. There's, in my opinion, humble opinion, a problem for any of us to take that kind of a position in Bible study. Everybody all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a little bit more, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up here in just a couple minutes. So, uh, I guess it's been said, if the plain sense makes sense, you probably have the right sense. Let me say that again. If the plain sense makes sense, you probably have the right sense. So many people just want to go, it's got to mean something other than what it says. <laughs> That's just prop. Maybe sometimes it does, but you better start with understanding it based on what it says. So when you let Scripture interpret Scripture, you build your case on what the Word of God says. When you let man or a book interpret what you believe about it, then you're letting that book or that man or woman interpret what you believe, and that's based on what they personally… If you let what I have to say determine what you believe, you're, you're running a risky life, unless you can be like the noble Bereans spoken of in the book of Acts who were smart enough to hear the Word of God and then to go home and study the Word of God to see if, in fact, the stuff they were being taught was true or not. So I even stand before you and say, if you walk walk out of here going, well, I I guess I'm a pre-rather now because that's what Pastor Rick is, I'm sorry. You still don't have a revelation. I'm trying to help you. I'm still stand here with trepidation, because I know the souls of people hang in the balance sometimes on what I say. So the best and most legitimate hermeneutic is that the text should be first and foremost understood at face value in its most natural, normal, customary sense, making allowances for obvious figures of speech. I've taught you before about idioms. Remember, I've taught you about idioms in the Jewish language that can't be interpreted in the English language, so you have to recognize that there may be some stuff said that doesn't make sense in the Anglo-European-American way of looking at things, and maybe I might just want to have a little bit of Hebrew thinking and looking. I didn't say speaking Hebrew. I don't speak Hebrew. The only Hebrew I know is the word Hebrew. So when in doubt, let Scripture interpret Scripture. What it comes down to is that your opinion, is that your opinion or is it what the Bible actually teaches? What you believe, is it your opinion or is it actually what the Bible teaches? And if you have a position on any one of these raptures, you ought to be able to take me through the entire Bible and prove it so not just one passage of Scripture here or there. So God's Word was written plainly, and it was written simply so that plain and simple people like you and me 
can understand it even though we do not have a seminary degree. If, if the Lord wrote the Bible in such a way that only the seminary theologian and doctorate of theology could understand, there's a problem in Denmark. Okay? You and I, as simple, normal, everyday people, ought to be able to open up the Scripture and understand. What did the Apostle Paul say? For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand. I love that this is added to it, that you will understand even to the end. That means that whatever's in here, I can understand it. You can understand it. Look at your neighbor and say, you can understand it. Look at your other neighbor who was your second choice. And say, you can understand it. You and I need to believe that. We just listen to the TV evangelist or the radio evangelist or whatever great author of a book and go, oh, that's what I believe now. I'm almost done. Can I... It says close right here on this next page. So, The reason that it's necessary to understand what the Bible says about the rapture and the tribulation is that the overriding question that every student of end times has to face and ultimately deal with is will the church face the intense persecution or not that's scheduled for the end times. And quite frankly, that is the subject that has caused dividing lines for churches. Will the church, will God's people be around for the persecution that's going to happen in the tribulation, or will we be removed from it before? That's, that's the line in the sand, for literally for denominations. You all are an open-minded people who are coming to look at the Scripture. Even those of you in this room who raised your hand and says, I'm a pre-tribulationist, you're not looking at me right now. I know going, oh, he's going down heresy. You recognize that I'm trying to get you to take an honest look at the Word of God. Nowhere along this whole path will I say, you must believe what I believe about this. More often than not, it's upon this very issue, the rapture, that become dividing lines, battle lines are drawn between believers. Do you think that was ever God's plan, that a subject like the rapture should be a battle line between believers? You know whose plan that was? Satan's. Do you think it was ever God's plan that the subject of speaking in tongues should cause battle lines to be drawn between believers? No. You know whose plan that was? Satan's plan. Why did I say that? Because those are certain doctrinal issues that people have gone haywire on. Either ditch. The burning question is still being debated today. Believe me. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, and apparently partial-trib, Preacher pen, rap. I can't even remember how it says. I don't mean to make fun of it, but it has no scriptural basis. Now, let me close. How one looks at the tribulation is directly connected with what one believes about the rapture. That's why it's important now for us to take a journey to talk about the rapture. 
and I needed to, I wasn't taking detours. Then I realized that we can't really talk about the rapture unless we talk about how one interprets the scripture, which is called what? Anybody remember? Hermeneutics, that's right. And study of end times is called? Eschatology. That esca word, yeah. But you know what? Uh, It's not my job to tell you which position to take. It is my job to share with you the Word of God as I understand it. And then it is your job to let the Holy Spirit reveal to you what He wants to reveal to you. That's between you and Him. That's why we walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? You're working out your salvation? No, you're saved by the grace of God, right? But now that you're saved, you've got to walk to walk. You've got a life to live as a saved person. Well, how you walk that out apparently is done with fear and trembling. <laughs> how many of you are walking out your salvation with fear and trembling? You're not. And I'm not saying you run around scared, but certain things you better know why you believe what you believe. I believe the issue of rapture and the tribulation are of critical importance, especially in helping you be ready for the coming of the Lord. And as you recognize, I started this off as what does Jesus want us to know about the end times? And the Lord's been speaking to my heart. No, Rick, I want you to prepare the people for my coming. His coming, which would be his second coming. All right, so I think we need a little comfort. Y'all need a little comfort food now. Let me give you a little comfort food. Is that all right? We'll close out with a little comfort food. It's Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The coming of the Lord is supposed to be our blessed hope. Not our dreadful fear, but our blessed hope. One of the ways that we comfort each other is with the expectation of the coming of the Lord. Let's close by going to this passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians. Then I'll take a couple of questions. I didn't say I'd answer them, but I will take a couple of questions. No, I'm just kidding with y'all. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're... We're right there. It's eight, it's 8.20. Our service is actually scheduled to go for, from 7 to 8.30, so we're right within our time frame. And time frame is very important to me because I value your time. Did I say First Thessalonians? First yeah. Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to read verses 13 through 18. And mine is subtitled, The Comfort of Christ's Coming. See, we don't, even though stuff I'm going to talk to you about is dreadful, horrible, we shouldn't take that, that thought process as believers. We should recognize that this conversation is supposed to bring comfort and hope. But then you better know why you believe what you believe. Are you ready? Verse 13. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, But I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Sleep there speaks about those who've died. Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. Now, I challenge you, go read Matthew 24. You'll see that the apostle Paul is completely walking in what Jesus said. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. <clears throat> and thus we shall always be with the Lord, verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. I'm going to have to share with you some difficult and hard things, but you need to recognize that when you have a conviction about what you believe, you should find comfort in these difficult and hard things. Can you say amen? amen? All right, I'm willing to take a question or two. I have five minutes on the clock. Anybody have a question? I don't always do that, but <clears throat> very good. I won't stand around long enough till I evoke one from somebody. Would you stand with me for a minute? This is an exciting subject for me, but it's a difficult subject for me. And the reason that I say it's a difficult subject for me is that how I teach it determines whether or not there are dividing lines, and I don't want to divide the church. I want to unite the church. I pray that there'll be nothing in this process that makes you say, that's a line in the sand. I'm out of here. I hope you'll stick around. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. I want to encourage you tonight to be like the Bereans. Go home and study what you've heard. It's all recorded. You can go back and listen to every one of them again. Study. And if you find that I have been faulty in what I've had to say, I want you to come to me and I want you to meet with me. And I want you to share with me why you feel that way. Because I am not perfect, so there's no way that I stand up here with this arrogant confidence that somehow I got the market cornered. Because I know right away that's the most dangerous position that I can take. And we'll, we'll reason together and talk about it. I will assure you and promise you of that. Will there be times that we disagree? Does any of y'all have a family that has never, ever disagreed? But we've got to love each other and stay together. We'll determine whether we can walk hand in hand on heaven and hell issues, not some of this other stuff, which I still think is important, and especially now, because I believe we're in the last days. And as some have said, the last of the last days. I didn't, I'm not, I didn't say I know when the Lord's coming. But I know he's coming. And every morning I look to the east. And I say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because it's my blessed hope. And I hope that I can bring comfort to you in this process. I hope it shakes you up a little bit too. Right on? I want to speak blessings over you tonight that you're blessed with health, you're blessed with prosperity. The Word of God says, may you prosper even as your soul prospers. I pray you tear up your Bible. Read, 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 read. Get more of it. 
Spend some time on your knees. Keep your nose in the book. Keep your knees bent to heaven. Keep your body in the house of God. If you'll do those three things as dedicated as anything else in life, you'll be all right. No matter what's coming down the pike with these end times. Blessings to each and every one of you. I love you. I call you blessed. We'll see you on Sunday morning.